Welcome to Let's Talk Sales, the podcast that's all things sales and business development. This podcast series is for CEOs that are looking to build strong companies, sales VPs and sales managers that want to take things to the next level, and of course, salespeople that are looking to improve. This podcast is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough in your team's sales? Have you tried sales training in the past but were unable to make it stick? The Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program is a year-long engagement that combines sales and leadership training, a digital sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. Today's podcast is part of our Sales Leaders Talk Sales series, a lot of S's in there, Um, and we talk about two sales leaders about growth and development. This is Rebecca Toomey, and today I'm talking to Brandon Bruce. Brandon is the COO and co-founder of Cirrus Insight, a plug-in for Gmail and Outlook for salespeople. Brandon, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Rebecca. Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, I obviously didn't detail too much about what you do, so I'd love it if you could share a little bit more with our audience about who you are and what you do. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I may be your tallest podcast guest of the year, at least so far. Oh, uh, doesn't come through on the audio recording, but I'm about six foot eight. Um, wow. So there you have it. If you're listening now, you have a sense um, that I'm standing in an office and talking on a podcast. So, uh, but excited to be here. Um, you know, I think I got my start in in sales, in business development, uh, right out of college. That was my first job, was managing operations for a uh, high-speed bandwidth company uh, called Rangefire. Ah. And so that was a super exciting time to be in the market. We were selling T1 lines and fractional T3 lines to everybody that wanted fast internet, right? Government agencies and companies and nonprofits, et cetera. And, um, and I remember my first boss, because I was responsible for kind of vetting meetings for him and scheduling his time in various states uh, for business development. And I said, what sort of criteria do you want me to use when I'm screening people, right? Your time's really valuable. And uh, his shortcut was, uh, he said, I'll meet with anybody about anything at any time. <laughs> so I was like, okay, cool. Well, this is going to be not that hard uh, to schedule you up 24 hours a day, which is what we tried to do. Um, but I appreciate that, that he said that because I was kind of worried about like, geez, should I really schedule this time with these people or not? Uh, and he was basically saying, hey, I'm not sure where opportunity is going to come. Uh, we're a relatively new company. We're going to take as many meetings as possible and kind of find out where the market is and keep growing. And so we were able to uh, create some really unique opportunities for our company and kind of uh, max it out for as long as it went which was until that market got uh, deregulated by the legislature, and that was the end of that. Uh, Then the big telcos could sell direct. But it was a great uh, first experience for me uh, in sales and in business development because I got to talk with lots of different people, um, get out in the field, run high-speed bandwidth, and kind of see how the internet worked. So it was pretty invaluable. So fast forward uh, another 10 years after that, uh, went to grad school, did MBA, did a law degree, and then worked for a small liberal arts college uh, here in Tennessee called Maryville College. So I did fundraising for them, um, which in the nonprofit world is frequently called uh, development or even better advancement. Uh Um, And people are like, what's development and advancement? It's sales. 
<laughs> it's talking with your alumni and foundations and others uh, to contribute money to priorities that the school has, typically scholarships and buildings and so forth. And so for me, that, that was certainly my, my biggest and first kind of like frontline sales, right? Making calls on people that I had never met before, sending them emails, scheduling meetings. And I think the, one of the most important things I learned there was I would have a, a person I really want to meet with, let's say in Philadelphia. And so I really focused on getting the meeting with them, that first one scheduled. And to do that, I would usually say, um, hey, I'm going to be up in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, so I was wondering you know, if you could meet. And then they, they were saying, like, well, when are you going to be up here? And I said, when are you available? Um, you know, so I was working around their schedule. And once I could get that first meeting, then I'd schedule everything else around that meeting and try to bang out you know, a couple dozen meetings in the course of three or four days. And uh, that was directly analogous to the business that we've built now, which is a software company, which sounds very different. But a lot of our work is, you know, we sell sales software to salespeople. Mm -hmm. So we try to help people save time and be efficient working from Gmail and Outlook while simultaneously syncing data in both directions with Salesforce.com, the big customer relationship management platform. Mm -hmm. And so for us, the key is helping them to uh, set meetings, get replies, and sync high quality data in the Salesforce for reporting purposes. And uh, we've been doing that since uh, the end of 2011. So we're now in our seventh year and it's been uh, an awesome ride. That's amazing and so awesome. I love your story. It sounds like you must be the king. You're the king of meetings. You're the king of getting meetings. So I'm definitely going to be picking your brain on this as we continue to talk. Meetings are fun. <laughs> They're a challenge, right? Every every salesperson likes a good challenge. So it's uh, no surprise that my favorite feature of our own software is the tool that allows me to send my calendar availability out to others and then they just click a time they want and it books it on both of our calendars automatically that uh, is, that's awesome that is i love it i wear it out yeah. every day uh -huh. and uh it works like a charm and it makes sense right it's just it's making it simple for someone to say yes so instead of having to reply and go back and forth 20 oh times like what about starbucks what about tuesday oh you mean next tuesday oh i'm in a different time zone whatever it's just like uh, yes i'll take that meeting and the software figures out the rest and the meeting's booked and then we just meet. So you don't even have to reply to the email. You, you still get your meetings. So for that's me, awesome. that's my that's my favorite feature by far. Oh, definitely. I mean, gosh, what a time sink that is for so many salespeople and executives out there. If you're listening in, <laughs> I'm sure that uh, many of you run into this problem too when you're trying to schedule and you go back and forth. These are the dates. By the time you get a response back, you have already filled your calendar with those dates. So just having that capability alone, that's awesome. Yeah, or worst case scenario, it, you just wear the other party out, right? After yeah. like two dozen emails back and forth, they're like, I'm not sure if I really want to meet after all. <laughs> so so yeah. by keeping it short, it kind of builds the excitement and the curiosity and the sp suspense of like, well, that was easy to book a meeting. I wonder what will happen during the meeting. I better go attend it. Definitely. Um, and so it makes it a lot more exciting than than the drudgery of getting it scheduled in the first place. Now, I have a question for you. Do you have a takeaway or a tip for people to keep in mind? I know that this is really on the spot, but when people are requesting a meeting, is there anything that you think that they should or shouldn't say to help you know, them to get that meeting? Because all of us get lots of emails every day, right, that are not necessarily anticipated. They're kind of out of the blue. It doesn't mean it's bad. I'm, not, you know, I'm the last person that's going to rail against like, I didn't want to receive that message. Where did it come from? I mean, mm -hmm. I get the same stuff in my postal mail. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way of life in some respect. I think the best way to cut through 
all of that clutter, I mean, a few things. One, I would keep it really short. Uh, there's no need to send, you know, a three paragraph explanation about why you're reaching out and what you do. Was, no one wants to read the big narrative. Uh, keep it pretty short. And then, you know, everyone always suggests because it's the right thing to do. Uh, you want to make it unique and relevant. So just saying like, hey, you know, I frequently hear from business owners. Uh, they like to make more money. It's like, really? That's shocking. Mm -hmm. That's not interesting. Mm -hmm. That's not going to like, oh, I want to reply and set a meeting to find out why business owners want to make more money. But if it's, uh, hey, uh, I'm going to be visiting Knoxville next week, and we have a solution that we've implemented at a lot of companies that have between 50 and 75 employees and help them streamline their XYZ process, I'm like, well, shoot, that's, that's pretty unique. Mm -hmm. Not that yeah. many people necessarily yeah. visit us in Knoxville. That is the size of our company. Maybe they also include, like, we work with a lot of software as a service companies. Like, okay, well, you know, now we just hit three for three. That sounds like a meeting that I'll probably take. And in fact, I did take a few of those meetings uh, just last month where people said, I'm going to be there. This is what we're asking for. This is why we want the meeting. This is what we hope to accomplish. Cool. Uh, so it kind of follows the, uh, the old adage, uh, no agenda, no attenda. Mm -hmm. I mean, if yep. someone asks for a meeting and it's like, you don't know why, and, and they probably don't know why either. It's just kind of for the sake of meeting. It, it's probably not worth replying or setting a meeting in the first place. But if it's a very clear, like, I'm going to come in, I'm going to pitch you. I've got something, I think it'll help you. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool, let's vet it out. Uh, yeah. But if it's kind of a big secret, I, I just wanna meet with you to learn more about you and your business. Really? I don't think so, probably not. Oh, I hear you on that. And I, I can give you an example of what not to do. <laughs> I, probably get, <laughs> I probably get a thousand of these a week. Not a thousand, I'm really exaggerating, but it feels like it. So many emails for, um, SEO companies that are, you know, SEO marketing strategy type of companies that are trying to get business, right? And they start their emails off with, you aren't ranking on Google, you are not doing this, you are not doing this. And it's like the most blanketed email that you've ever seen in your life that they just send it to everyone to try to freak them out and almost scare them into doing business. But you know, it makes me wonder if it works. Are people replying to these emails? The guilt, the guilt sale, and I do remember, and maybe this is just because I was a kid then and now I've grown up more, but I used to remember going to the dentist and I felt like it was a guilt trip, right? Uh -huh. Where it's like, well, you know, it looks like you probably haven't been flossing, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, geez, like, you know, I feel bad now, you know, so you like, then you come to associate visiting the dentist as making you feel bad for yeah. like who you are and you're not taking good enough care of your teeth. Mm -hmm. Now I feel like I go in and they might be like, you know, you're your teeth look healthy. You know, they're, they're good. Uh, you could stand to floss some more if you haven't been. But, you know, overall, good job. You don't have a bunch of cavities. So that's mm -hmm. what we're looking for. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, all right. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I'm trying to brush. So anyway, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those things like, like yeah, do you want to like scare people into it? Sometimes I suppose that does work where it's like, hey, did you know, uh, I mean, you know yeah, you're susceptible to this major threat? And it's like, I should probably close the door. Yeah, um, you know, that's not a good idea to leave the company door open at 24 hours a day when no one's there. Oh, but definitely. aside from that, I think it's kind of dangerous to pursue the, the fear-based sale. Oh, of course. And I mean, th that's such a risk too, because obviously that type of specific email that I mentioned is going to be targeted at people that don't have marketing, um, either a marketing director, marketing manager, or a marketing team in place. Because if you have a marketing team, you're going to know what you're ranking for. You're going to know what's going on on the back end of your website and all of your campaigns. Those are things that that's what we do, right? So for me, it's almost like insulting. It's like, how dare you tell me I'm not ranking? 
<laughs> I know I am for a fact and I can tell you every single thing. So it's just an interesting, you know, it's an interesting way that, that people are trying to sell. And I think that uh, we should be doing less of that and more of, like you said, be specific, point out real problems, don't blanket it. And, you know, you got to build that relationship and really learn first, too. A lot of us are so quick to kind of jump to it before we we even know if it's a good fit, I guess, if that makes sense. Right, right. Yeah, one of my favorites that I've seen a lot of recently, I guess, is the trending, is the emails that have the subject line, like, uh, our meeting today at 3. <laughs> and so, of course, I see that, and I'm like, holy cow, I didn't know I had a meeting at 3. You know, and so, so the first few times when I opened those, I was like, oh, my gosh, I, 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 don't, I don't know this person. They're trying to get a meeting at a three, right? So, mm-hmm. so they used a somewhat misleading subject line to kind of get me to open it and read it and engage. And so at first I was like, that's kind of clever. It's kind of cheeky. Mm-hmm. Um, they cut through the clutter. Uh, now that it seems to be like more people are doing it. So, again, to your point, I don't know if that means it worked or just people decided to try it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now it's sort of like it, it's, it's, kind of, it's slightly annoying. Uh, just because there's like a whole bunch of emails in my like, are meeting at two, or meeting at three, or meeting at four, and it's like, ah, uh, now now it's just delete. Like I don't get that big adrenaline boost. Like, oh my gosh, am I missing a meeting right now? Yeah. Um, that I used to get. So I'm trying to uh, cut through that a little bit more. But totally, you know, uh, people are gonna have to try things and innovate. I, I don't freak out as much as uh, some of the, some commentators will be like, that's so upsetting. Um, you know, it's disingenuous. It's like, uh, you know, someone was just trying an approach. Yeah, uh, let's, definitely. Let's not get too mad. Let's just filter it out and they'll move on, right? If it doesn't work, they'll try something else next time. Definitely. You do have to try things, especially in in our world. And things are changing so quickly with technology that you've got to experiment and see what works. And what works for some person at a different company might not work for you at your company. So it's just playing with language and all those types of things. I'm sure I could probably write a blog post about all of the different types of emails, sales slash marketing emails that are out there that exist because there are, are, are all of these different perspectives and strategies. It's really interesting. And actually, that's our theme for the month. Um, this month is about discovery-based learning and kind of this idea of a learning culture and always growing and developing because we can't, we can't always do the same things. It's not going to work. Uh, it's always about, like you said. The, uh, yeah, some of the things that work brilliantly for us or for other companies that then work for us or don't, mm-hmm. and and who knows why? Because mm-hmm. we're in a different industry, different geography, different company size, different target customer. So you really do have to guess and test with some of these things just to see. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, I don't know which. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a magic bullet, especially because things change. Where it's like for a while, some approach by email works the best, and then oh, everyone's doing it. So then calling people is then better, and then oh, everyone stopped listening to voicemail because everyone has visual voicemail so they just delete stuff upon seeing that it's not someone they know and everyone has caller id so then okay switch and let's do approach through linkedin because uh, that cuts through the clutter of the inbox because linkedin has its own inbox which isn't super awesome but you know it's different <laughs> yeah and so people learn to go there and do stuff and, and but then it always you know it ebbs and flows just like i can remember years ago it seemed like webinars were just everywhere that was the best way to engage with people and then people got tired of webinars for a while so they stopped yeah. And then they came back again. So it's like there's these cycles of things that work better than others, but it's not like you can just, you know, those posts that are like cold calling is dead. It's definitely not. It just ebbs ebbs and flows. Definitely. Uh, It's not always growing and it's not always shrinking. Sometimes it works really well and sometimes it doesn't. And you kind of keep having to try it 
uh, year after year to see, oh, is it trending now? No, it's not Not right now. I'm not going to do it anymore. And then that time it's trending, at least you've kept trying it so then you can ride the wave up again. Definitely. And you bring up a good point here about, you know, the things that ebb and flow, you use webinars as an example, which was a good one. I think it's it's important for companies to keep in mind that when they're putting together a strategy for marketing and sales, obviously they're going to overlap together. They need to work together. If marketing is doing things that are completely independent of sales, it doesn't make any sense or vice versa. Um, and so I think having an appealing producing content. We're big fans of inbound content, you know, just providing content that's valuable valuable to people. It's just, we love to, to create that kind of content, which is what this podcast is all about. But being where different people like to be, you know, the same people that attend a webinar might not be the same type of people that like to listen to a podcast because some people like to listen. Other people are more visual. Some people like to read. So, you know, having different types of content is good, but knowing where your target audience is within the content is also important. And uh, I think one yeah, of the most... I agree. It, yeah. <laughs> it, I was just going to say, it reminds me of the old adage, you know, 50% of our marketing works. We're just not sure which half, um, <laughs> which is just to say it requires constant experimentation and if some of the stats are true, right, about, hey, you have to hear something seven times or you need to be exposed to something, you know, 14 for something to work out, then it does make sense, right? You're going to find some of your target on podcasts and some on webinars. And then, you know, certainly what we found is we find a lot of our best customers in person. Yeah. It's like, how yeah. weird. We're a software as a service <laughs> company. We run in the cloud. They frequently run in the cloud. And yet the relationship is forged in person at a conference. Mm-hmm at a trade show where we get to you know shake hands tell stories show the software live answer questions live and then that helps uh, cement the relationship going forward so so yeah we try to do as many things in person as possible whereas our industry has basically been driven by hey you no longer have to travel you no longer have to go see people in person you can do everything virtually and it turns out uh, you can but in not all cases should you yeah Uh, it's good to keep that mix alive Definitely. I agree with that. It's not the same. It's definitely not the same to do everything digitally and never really get to have that personal interaction. Even if you're Skyping or there's some sort of video aspect to it, it's still not the same as getting to meet someone face to face. Absolutely. There's some good, uh, there, there's a great video by, have you ever watched the, the comedy duo Trip and Tyler? I have. Uh, that great. Uh, yeah. Well, that's, it's a recommendation. Right? Okay. I recommend it to you and any of the okay. listeners. Some have okay. probably seen them. Uh, they're hilarious, but they've made a series of videos, many of which revolve around uh, sales and office work, corporate culture, uh, biz dev and stuff. So they have one that is about a conference call, right? And sort of the dynamics of a conference call. And uh, yeah, I recommend it to everybody because it's hilarious. And all of us have been on conference calls where all of these things have happened, right? People beeping in, leaving, dogs barking in the background, <laughs> babies crying. I mean, the, the whole gamut, and they cover all of it in the video. Oh, that's great. And it's hilarious just because it's a commentary on on, on how we work. Um, that's how conference calls get done. And sometimes they're super effective, and sometimes there's sort of a minor disaster. Um, but it's a good... It's a good example of, okay, that's one thing we do, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, and then we do all these other things, too, and sometimes email is brilliant, and it gets done exactly what we wanted, and it was asynchronous, and so it was the most effective and efficient way to do it, and sometimes it's like, it's a disaster. We should have just picked up the phone and called the person, or <laughs> just flown and met them in person and gotten that super important thing done, because email is not going to cut it. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's picking and choosing your medium, uh, I guess, with some care. 
definitely. Now, I'll throw a link to that in the show notes for today's show, which uh, our audience, you can find it at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod79. And now, I'm a big fan of humor. You mentioned this is funny, so I can't wait to check it out. But do you have any funny, do you have a funny sales story that you could share with us? I mean, one that I enjoy, uh, and, and, uh, and his name is Max, and he started on our sales team, and he now runs our customer success team. But when he joined us, uh, he was doing sales development and getting like three times more demos booked than everybody when he started. And so we're like, wow, that's really fascinating. And when we watched him do his calls, he was always just very calm and kind of quiet. And we were like, this is interesting. It's very kind of anti the stereotype of like, you know, hard charging, let's power through a bunch of calls, big energy. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of quiet and just talking with people. And so we pulled him aside and was like, hey, Max, like, how are you getting all these? Like, we want to learn from you. You know, we want to think about it. And he said, well, I just, I just answer the same way no matter what the prospect says. And we're like, that sounds the opposite of what we want. You know, we want to be like customized to everybody, right? You want to listen and respond to needs and so forth. So we're like, let's, let's run an example. And he was like, okay, so when I call somebody, I say, well, would you like to see a demo of Sears Insight? And if they say yes, then I say, great. You know, how about Wednesday at 10 o'clock? And we get it booked. And we're like, that's brilliant. Run it the other way. So he says, so I call and I say, do you want a demo of Sears Insight? And they say, no. And then we're like, what do you say? And he says, well, then I say, how about Wednesday at 10 o'clock? And, and we're like, and people actually agree to that? They, they, he said, yeah, they do. And they actually, more, more often than not, they show up to the demo. So we're like, whoa, this is mind-blowing. Like, why is this happening? And, and what I ended up analogizing it to is like when I had a truck in college and everyone was like, oh, you have a truck. Can you help me move? <laughs> right? And it's like, sure, happy to help until it becomes like every waking moment you're helping people move from apartment to apartment. So you, so you might say like, no, you know, no, I can't, you know, I'm just, I'm busy on Saturday. But then if they say, oh, well, I don't know, are, are you really? Because we're going to move at six in the morning. <laughs> then it's like, well, now where's my excuse? Like what possibly could I be busy doing at, at six in the morning, right? So I'm yeah. sleeping or something. And so, yeah, psychologically, at least this is how we rationalize it. Like people were willing to kind of be, be dismissive. Like, no, I'm, I'm busy and I can't make it. Uh, but if you were specific in your ask, then they had to be specific in saying no or yes. And so people actually checked their calendar. We're like, no, actually, it turns out I am free. And so I will attend. And then the thing that amazed us the most is that they would show up because they had said they would. And, wow. and people want to honor that. Um, and we tried to obviously honor that by providing a good demo and adding value. We thought they were in our target market. So on the one hand, that sort of sounds like the weird emails, right? I'll see you at 3 o'clock. Um, it, it's a little bit tricky. On the other hand, we thought it was just, just interesting. So I don't know. That's less of a, of a funny story, but more of just when I think back to it, I'm, I'm still kind of amazed that it had so much success. And I just found it interesting, I guess, from a uh, psychology standpoint that, that it kind of worked out. And it became something that we studied for quite a while, trying to figure out what was working, how we could replicate it, et cetera. Um, but from early on in the business, I think you know one of the, one of the funniest stories we had was that uh, – one day we came in the office, we were running some advertisements with Google and we decided, you know, well, we're pretty small. We don't have much budget. Let's go ahead and, you know, bump it by like $5. So we added $5 and all of a sudden Google like went crazy and they spent like a thousand dollars on our account. Oh, and we we're like, no, 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 no. Like, we're like, we don't, we don't have that money. Like that's bad. And, uh, and, and, and when it got like most of the way through, like crashed our web server for the website <laughs> We're like, son of a gun. 
Well, we got the web server back up, and then you know Google wasn't authorized to spend that, so they refunded it to us. And we're like, huh, that's really weird. Um, so the next day we tried it again. The same thing happened. And we're like, okay, let's get smart about this. So then the third day we came in, and we scaled up like multiple web servers on Amazon. And then we tweaked it by $5, and Google spent 1000 bucks, and then they refunded us 995 and so we're like, this is awesome. So that became our entire marketing plan for like two weeks. It was just come in the office in the morning, tweak it by $5. Google would spend 1000 you know. So we got, you know, 10, 15,000 bucks of uh, advertising through just a software bug. Uh, of course, that got fixed. And wow. so that strategy didn't last for that long. Uh, but it was like super fun and awesome for really early stage startup, right? We're just like a few months in business. And we just kind of stumbled upon this anomaly. And uh, we're able to get a little bit of extra exposure online for it, which was kind of fun. That actually is really funny. I had something kind of similar happen. Uh, I got married recently. And when we were getting the invitations printed, or I can't remember if it was Save the Dates or Invitations, you know, one of the two, going to order them, there was a glitch in the system similar to what you experienced where it, it wouldn't push the order through. It just kept giving me an error. An error but it would go back to the cart and every time it was like $10 cheaper. So I just kept trying it and trying it. I'm like, go through, go through. It got down to like $5, I think it was. By the end, my husband and I, we were, we were so funny. Every time that we would push it to try to, you know, please order, go through, we would go, 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 go. You know, we were hoping that it would go through at the $5, but it, it didn't. I and actually, you sort of wonder, like, should we check out? Or it's like a game of trust your luck. Like, should we check out or should we try to knock it down by another $10? Exactly. We just kept trying it. Well, we were trying to check out, but what it was doing, it was it was not checking out, but then bringing you back to the cart, but your cart was less money. And what it was doing was giving a certain number of the invitations for free every time. So the number just kept going up. So originally it was like, you know, five for free, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, just kept going up and up. I ended up having to put in a ticket because I couldn't get it to go through, and I ended up getting them all for like $8, I think it was. It, oh, wow. it actually ended well, up yeah, working out, yeah. but it was because of a glitch. <laughs> well, first, congratulations. Oh, that's thank awesome. you. Uh, thank you. Yeah, great, great wedding and, uh, and got the invitations out. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, I think these things are just kind of fun. They're little fun things that happen in a largely automated world. Yes. Right now we order things mostly from our computer and this and that. And so it's kind of fun when these little anomalies happen that like Forrest Gump would say, it's like a little white lie. Like no one's really harmed, you know, (laughs) as long as the company basically recovers and fixes the bug, like all of us in the software game have to do. And as long as the customer basically gets what they want. um, Well, if it was happening for you over there, if it was happening for you guys, I wonder how many other, uh, I wonder how much ad spend they lost during that week. <laughs> right. And we're like a small, and this was like seven years ago and we're like a small fry. Right. So I don't know if it would have worked differently or the same. Like what about a big company that puts a lot of money into it? Would it have juiced it by that much more? Or was it just a finite, you know, bug that went up to a thousand and then petered out or something? Sure, I yeah. have no idea. I'm sure someone was freaking out over there when they realized what was going on. <laughs> yeah, probably. They're like, huh. Well, although, you know, would they really freak out, right? They're printing money. So true, true. be like, oh, you know, I guess we should plug that and, uh, you know, keep the spigot on. There you but, go. Uh, but yeah, these things happen. I remember buying a pair of jeans at the Gap for like $5. And I was like, no, the sign says they're, you know, 30. And they're like, yeah, but the register says five and we have to go by the register. And I was like, well, in that case, well, maybe I'm I'll be too. <laughs> yeah, right. 
yeah, like argument's over and uh, I'll go ahead and check out then. I will take so, these $5 yeah. jeans. Thank you very much. Good day. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. <laughs> now, most of us have a claim to fame in our field, you know, an area of hyper focus. Do you have a specialty or something that you're known for? Oh, shoot. I don't know. I mean, if it's an in-person <laughs> event like a conference, then I'm, I'm recognizable because of my height. So it's a great icebreaker. <laughs> so you're known right? for that. You're always looking down on us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am uh, partial to, and I'm wearing them today, a pair of bright red New Balance sneakers. So a lot of people, at least in Knoxville, will point out uh, the guy with the red shoes. My, uh, my sister-in-law calls them my clown shoes because... <laughs> I have size 15 feet, so they're big shoes, but they're kind of recognizable, so claim to fame. But I mean, I think from a oops, from a sales perspective and a and a work perspective, I think probably I and our team here in Knoxville has just become kind of well known for for hopefully a culture of hustle, right? That's pretty um, that's pretty straight ahead with all salespeople and all sales teams. People like to work hard. I think folks are attracted to the discipline because of the adrenaline. Uh, sure. Is it hard? Uh, yeah, of course. That's what makes it a challenge. That's what makes it an opportunity and makes it fun. Um, but we enjoy that here. So, you know, folks like to work hard. We enjoy a spirited game of ping pong. Um, we enjoy, uh, getting out to these conferences and trying to get more leads than the booth next to us. So making things competitive, making it a game has always been, part of how we tick over here. And I think, you know, part of my uh, job, hopefully, as, as a manager and as a leader is to make things continually fun so that we can keep reinventing ourselves as a company. I mean, my dad would always tell me if, you know, he asked me, like, hey, let's, you know, come out and do some weeding with me. And we had 20 acres, so there was plenty of weeds. It was like, oh, 20 geez, acres? Like, 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 That's yeah, a lot like, of weeding. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I want to do that. That doesn't sound like it's going to be awesome. And it was, you know, and he, he, my brother and I would go out there. And he'd say, we'll make it a game. Let's see how many we can get in the next 10 minutes. Nice. Or let's see which one of us can get the most weeds. Who gets the biggest weed? Who finds the smallest weed? And when you start doing that, when you start keeping track of stuff and making it fun, where it's like, look at this. I found the tiniest weed of all time. Like, ah, that's funny. <laughs> and the time passes. Everyone has fun. And then you have a story to tell later versus just, yeah, we went out and weeded for an mm -hmm. hour. Mm -hmm. That's not that interesting of a story. Or you make it competitive, like, yeah, well, I, I, I beat my brother the first 10 minutes, but he got me the last 40 minutes. Okay, cool. Uh, but I got the tallest weed, but he got the fattest one. Hey, that's fun. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, making it a game. I guess I use that analogy just because I took my six-year-old son out weeding over the weekend. Uh, <laughs> so, and he was super excited about it. Like, let's go weed. <laughs> wow, you really successfully gamified pulling weeds. But it sounds like you had a good teacher. You had a good teacher, though. <laughs> You know, that's bonding time, right? It's just be, it's, it's kinship. It's being around each other. And I think uh, a lot of sales teams, a lot of people analogize sales to sports teams. And I think it could easily be analogized to a theater group or a, or a musical troupe. It's, it's folks that work in close proximity to each other that are pushing each other to get better. And there's a kinship about that. Sure, mm -hmm. someone's going to be top of the leaderboard that month. Sure, someone's going to have a, you know, a sour month and they're going to have to bounce back. But at the end of the day, we're all in it together, right? If the company keeps growing. Uh, rising tide lifts all boats. So it's the uh, it's the kinship that comes with competition and, and gamification and kind of the constant hustle that I think makes the whole field of sales. Definitely. And now you lead into the next question, which is about struggles. You know, we all struggle from time to time. Could you share a moment in time where you either 
hit a wall or you faced a big challenge and kind of how you resolve that, any lessons that you might have learned along the way. So I'm, a, so I'm on the sales, you know, marketing support operations side of the house. My co-founder, Ryan, leads our engineering team. And so kind of a, a long-running joke between us will be like, you know, I might say something like, well, hey, let's add this new feature. Just, you know, just code it in, right? <laughs> like, just like that. Just make it happen. And he's like, well, it's a lot more involved than that, right? There's complexities. It's code. It's, we need to think through the ramifications of adding this feature and so forth. Uh, by the same token, it's kind of fair of them to say, like, hey, that company you've been talking with, just close that deal, right? I mean, just, they've seen the demo, like, just sign online, let's move on, get the credit card number, whatever. And uh, all of us in sales know it's not necessarily that easy just to get things closed. And I think, uh, especially when we started to sell into the enterprise, uh, I, and we had a very small team at the time, but I was handling all the sales at the beginning, and then we added our first few salespeople to join me in the effort, but we would get frustrated because we were used to a relatively quick cycle, mm -hmm. right? Someone's on a month-long trial, we have conversations, maybe we need to extend it a little bit for a few more decision makers, and then we close, but it's been like six, eight weeks. Then we start selling into an enterprise, and we're talking like six, eight months, mm -hmm. and so we really, in that case, did hit the proverbial wall, where it's like, we felt like we were just, you know, dead in the water. Like, we don't even know where we are in the deal. It's like, hey, you've been talking to Enterprise for a long time. How are they coming? I don't know. I don't know. And uh, <laughs> the fact is, we felt like we were just getting worn out, like going in circles. And then I read, and I can't remember uh, who posted it, but it's always nice when people contribute back to the field. Uh, I read a book or something online where the person said, hey, the advantage uh, and just the nature of the Enterprise is they're going to kind of wear you down, sometimes on purpose and sometimes just because that's the way they are. They're big. There's a lot of people that need to find out about something. There's a lot of handoffs that need to happen. And mm -hmm. so if you want to sell into that, you just kind of have to stick with it. Um, and thankfully, you know, some of my background is in kind of uh, endurance sports, if you will. I, I did rowing in college. And then after that, I got big into long distance cycling and, and some running. And so for those, they're sort of, you know, exercises of attrition. I mean, you just kind of keep going, even when you're really tired or you start to kind of feel sick during a long ride, whatever, you just go until you finish. Um, and Pat Summit, who is the, the coach here of the women's team at University of Tennessee Basketball, basketball uh, one of the winningest coaches of all time, has said, uh, you know, you're not finished when you're tired. Uh, you don't quit when you're tired. You quit when you're done. Mm. And, and I love that because, you know, tired can happen anytime to anybody for lots of different reasons. You train for it, you fuel right, whatever. But just because you're tired doesn't mean, oh, I better quit. I'm tired. Yeah. Uh, by saying you quit when you're done, you choose when you're done. And so you choose when you quit. You're so funny um, talking about running. And so we decided. Yeah. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're, you're so funny say, how you just said that, though. You know, you just got to keep going. Just keep going. Those of us that are not runners yeah. like me, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't go on. No, but I totally get what you're saying. That yeah, no, sometimes it's, it's a, <laughs> I am a cycler. A I can, can, I can relate to you on that. <laughs> but the running part. Yeah, well, lots, of, <laughs> lots of people have gone a lot farther than I have. But, you, know, you do some marathons or even longer than marathons, and sometimes it's just, it's just getting your head around the time. Like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm okay to go run for the majority of the day. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do today, and I'm not in any rush to finish, and especially the long distance cycling where you might be out even more of that during the day or overnight you're sort of like i'm okay with that and, and then you just uh, kind of reconcile yourself to that process so we decided for the enterprise deals like hey we're going to see these through 
Um, and that goes to kind of my favorite trait among salespeople or really uh, all of us that are workers of any type is, is curiosity. You know, if you lose your curiosity, we're so like, I just want the deal to close. I want it to go away. Then you may lose it or you may not stick with it long enough to, to see it to the end. But if you're curious, if you're like, huh, I've never sold to an enterprise before. I wonder if I stick with I wonder what's going to happen. Like, I wonder if I can win this deal. Then yep. you stay with it long enough that six, eight months, shoot, we've had deals go 18 months, two years before we were able to close. And people will just shake their heads and marvel like, hey, remember, I met them two years ago at the conference. We finally got that deal. It's like, holy cow, nice job bird dogging that thing and staying on top of it for that long. Like, mm-hmm. that's impressive. You got to go through security review and legal and procurement and get your decision maker sign off. And a couple people during that time period are going to leave their jobs and you're going to inherit some new decision makers. You got to bring up to speed as quickly as you can and so forth. And so staying curious to, to get those deals in our case in the enterprise, but it could be breaking into a new industry or opening a new office and targeting a new geography. It's being curious enough, curious enough, I think, to, to see it through, you know, find out what happens at the end of the story. That is such great advice. And really in in line with the next question, but before I go to the next question, I'll just let you know, I actually just finished, I shouldn't say just, last year, finished my first metric century uh, cycle ride. And it was not easy. It was one of those things that you said where you were like, you gotta just keep going. Every time that we would stop and get back on the bikes, I'm like, oh man, I'm not gonna make it. I'm not gonna make it. Every, every rest stop, I'm like, this is, I can't do this. But, you know, you just got to get back out there and go. Yep, yep. No, I, and then that would be the second best piece of advice, which is don't, you know, you don't stop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now I know that. Now I now I, I have since learned that uh, getting back on a bicycle after you've ridden 20 miles uh, doesn't feel so good. And then after you've gone a little further. You need to refuel. It's definitely better to stop and get the nutrition you need. Yeah, I probably should have done maybe maybe two instead of three or four. I can't even remember. All I know is the joke is that my husband says that I cried every, I cried every rest stop. Like every, it was worth it. It was a big, it was a big cathartic experience. Exactly. I just kept, I kept going, kept going. He, he makes fun of me because we were five, five miles from the end of it. And I, I start crying. I'm like, I can't do this. This is so hard. I was in so much pain. I also didn't train for this. So I'll just let you know. I just decided to do it. And, um, yeah, exactly. Like, hey, do you want to go do the Harlem Valley ride this weekend? And I'm like, all right, that sounds great. Um, and being from Florida, it was it was extra special since all I know is flat flat ground, and I'm talking about the mountains of New York. Um, so that that <laughs> that was the that was why I was in pain. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'll get back to uh, what we were talking about, which is helping people grow. So my question is, what can CEOs, sales managers, and salespeople, either independently or all three uh, together, what can they do better? What can we do in the sales industry? What can we be doing better? Yeah, they, there's, a, there's a neat uh, firm that just opened an office here in Knoxville called Pedal, like the bicycle pedal. So now okay. I've connected it up to our conversation. <laughs> um, but their focus is they've done product and brand management for a lot of you know, huge uh, consumer brands. And so what they've done is open up an office to really help companies uh, with what they call, you know, design-centered thinking, uh, meaning really focus on the customer experience, mm, right? What, how, is, how does the customer view it? What are, what's their experience? If it's a tool, how do they hold it? If it's a retail space, how do they walk in? How do they walk out, et cetera? 
And I think you know all of us are now familiar with companies that do that brilliantly. We'll use Amazon as an example, since uh, you know we're on uh, we're near Prime Day. Is you know somehow Amazon makes it pretty easy for uh, millions upon millions of people to process billions of dollars in transactions through their platform, mm-hmm. um, sometimes daily. And so it's like the, I think the key is. Uh, making things as easy as possible, simplifying them. Because sales sales is hard. I always say sales and business are hard enough just as a thing yeah. uh, to then overcomplicate them with more processes, more procedures, more software that needs to get integrated with itself, so on and so forth. Uh, so to what extent can we make it easy for the customer to get what they want? Uh, the appointment scheduling is, is one of my favorite examples, right? We as salespeople want the meeting. But it turns out, so does the prospect, right? Mm-hmm. They've done some research, and now it's time for them to have a meeting so they can truly vet the thing and decide if they want to buy it. Let's not make that process hard. Let's make it so easy that they just, like, grab time on our – we put our calendars all online on our website. You want to grab time, you just grab time on the calendar, and we'll meet with you. And people have said, like, well, what if just a random person grabs time? Then I, it's like, then we meet with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, not all meetings are awesome. Yeah. Right? Sometimes it may just be someone that kind of wanted to talk that day. Sure. Um, but more often than not, right? you're playing a statistic saying more often than not, if prospects don't want to waste their time either. Um, there's, there's a small percentage of people that just want to schedule time just to chat with you. Mm-hmm. So more, most of the people are going to be those folks that have done two-thirds of their research already. And now they're ready to talk. And so why would we want to put a big barrier in front of them and say, hey, fill out these long forms before we decide if you're good enough for us to talk to you. Mm-hmm. No, we'll just, you just schedule on our calendar. We'll meet with you uh, pretty much any time uh, about the app, answer all your questions, and then hopefully we can march toward a deal. Uh, so it's, it's just simpler. It's, going, it's getting back to basics, and we all struggle with that because the technology gets fancier. Um, we get more sophisticated about trying to build these predictable revenue models, which is awesome, um, that I need to remind myself frequently and, and probably today and tomorrow again, how do we simplify this for the benefit of the customer? Because if the customer is winning, in our history at least, anytime we've done something right, it's because the customer asked us to do it or because it, it resonated with the customer. Mm-hmm. And when we've gone down rabbit holes or made some bad decisions, it, it's because it wasn't customer driven. It was just like, I have an idea, let's go do this. It's like, oh, we, we should have focused on the customer again. And so we you know, cut that off and we go back and talk to the customer more and find out what they want and then build that. And that, you know, that works 99% of the time. That's awesome. That was such a great tip to share. Thank you for sharing that. I actually, you got me motivated and excited after, after this podcast. There's some things that I need to, to look into. Got, it's got, a good time. It's middle yeah. of the summer, right? So it's not spring cleaning time. It's more like yeah. summer cleaning. Definitely. How do we all simplify things? <laughs> there you go. Now, what about books? Do you have a favorite sales or business growth book? Uh, so I always tell people anything written by Seth Godin. Yeah, uh, nice. And thankfully, you've got a lot of choices. So yeah. you can read all of it. Like, I like all of his stuff. Uh, but he's published, uh, you know, over 20 bestsellers. Mm-hmm. So in book format, he writes uh, daily on his blog. So I get what he writes, you know, in my inbox every morning at about 6 o'clock Eastern. And uh, as he would say, I expect it. I anticipate it. I'm excited to read it. And somehow, and this is the kicker, it's always good. <laughs> and I can't think That's of a time awesome. where I got his post and I was like, ah just not sure if I really need to be subscribing to this anymore. And yeah. I'll give it another month and then I'll see if I want to unsubscribe. Like not once have I thought that. I, I, I read it 
religiously every morning because I think it's valuable. Every, every time I read it, I'm like, ah, oh, that's a great point, or that's a good thing to remember, or that's just plain interesting. Like, I don't need to apply it in what I'm doing, but it's just an interesting perspective or way to think about things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm a big uh, Seth Godin evangelist. I'm not alone in that, obviously. He's probably the biggest um, you know, marketing personality out there today. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, uh, teaching other people all the But I think he's brilliant, so I, I pretty much recommend him to anybody. That's awesome. Yeah, love him. I will throw your recommendations in the show notes for today's show as well. And, of course, we talk quite a bit about sales playbooks here at CFS, and we're always looking for useful tips that people can put into their sales playbooks. Do you have an actionable tip that our listeners might consider adding to their playbook? I think to the extent that it's that it's practicable, which is to say, the extent that it makes sense uh, financially and, and you have the time and so forth to do it, adding in the personal visit, the in-person you know visit where you're in a room with somebody um, to the playbook is a, is a great thing to do. Now, our, our product is relatively low cost, so we we can't do that for every customer, right? We have like five thousand customers, we're not going to go travel to all of them. But when it makes sense financially, then everyone on our team knows that as part of the playbook that they can look to schedule and they can certainly offer for those target customers, hey, I would like to come really understand your business. I'd like to sit with your sales team and see how you work and make sure our software is tailored to your workflows and processes. Um, and that's something that we've, we've had a lot of success with, plus it's fun. Yeah. Um, it's neat to, it's neat to you know, hop on a plane, go to somebody's business, really see how they tick, see how they work see some of the commonalities with our other customers. Hey, you know, we have another customer that works this way, except that I made this change that made all the difference for them and kind of add value in that way. So, you know, we, a lot of that becomes kind of free consulting on our part, but that's valuable, right? You become then a, the, the, the proverbial trusted advisor. Um, so, yeah, to the extent it's possible, if you're selling a product that has enough margin or, or a high enough price point or the customer is going to be big enough, then... I always like to recommend that because it's also a huge differentiator. I mean, if you're in a competitive space, which mm-hmm. all of us are, mm-hmm. um, but is, is your competitor going to meet the customer in person? Yeah. Maybe not. It may all just be a phone call or a, or, or a, a you know a web meeting for 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 that competitor. Whereas you're you're there on site, and I, I you know I give you the benefit of the doubt. If you're on site versus someone that's just done a web meeting, I'd, I'd say you win the vast majority of those deals. Mm-hmm. So that is a note to uh, to take for your sales playbook. Add to your sales process to have a touch point where you are meeting in person with your prospect at some point during the sales cycle, if possible. Awesome. <laughs> yes, certainly is. That's how we build those strong relationships, right? Now, do you have any last words, final final words for us today? Well, everybody, uh, think positively. Uh, Knoxville is known, obviously, for the University of Tennessee Volunteers football team. We had a little bit of a rough year last year, but we're going to bounce back. It's going to be a big year. Um, I went to uh, UC Santa Barbara where we didn't even have a football team. So as I like to say, we were undefeated for my entire time. Um, but it's something people take very seriously here, right? We've got uh, Tennessee bourbon, we've got barbecue, we've got the Great Smoky Mountains, we have Oak Ridge National Lab where the Manhattan Project was based, mm-hmm. and we've got Tennessee football. Uh, so root hard for uh, the Big Orange this coming year, and uh, open invitation to anyone that's listening. <laughs> if you are in Knoxville or you find yourself in Knoxville, uh, swing by the office, especially on a Friday. We have our company lunch every Friday at noon, and uh, we'll treat you to lunch and hang out in the office. So you can knock off your uh, your personal visit with us uh here in Knoxville, if you make it to East Tennessee. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on the show, Brandon. You bet, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. And thanks so much for listening to today's show. You can find the notes again for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod79. Tune in next week when we'll be talking with Ariana Miskell about her newest ebook. Stay tuned for more details on that. And in the meantime, join us on Friday for an inspirational quote from Bill Gates. All month we're writing about developing a learning culture and growth on the CFS blog, so check that out at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. If you're enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to your podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. And while you're there, if you could throw us a rating or a review, that would be awesome. And remember, you can also join the conversation on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Rebecca Toomey, Ariana Miskell, and Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling.